This is an RNZ podcast. Last Thursday morning, RNZ's Morning Report aired a scoop by political editor Jane Patterson, which would have startled both dedicated RNZ listeners and the staff of the broadcaster itself. The fate of RNZ and TVNZ may soon be in the hands of Cabinet Ministers as they consider a proposal to disestablish both broadcasters and create an entity, uh, an entirely new public media entity. The government is moving on plans for public broadcasting in New Zealand as the media industry faces an uncertain future. Now that's big news, potentially, and the biggest hint so far of what the government might announce before the end of the year after an ongoing review of public media funding policy. Jane Patterson reported that two other options had been considered, merging the newsrooms of RNZ and TVNZ or putting more money into New Zealand on air. But whose idea was this proposed new not-for-profit, partly commercial and partly non-commercial, one-stop shop for public media in the future? So an advisory group was set up and that has representatives from RNZ, TVNZ and a number of senior public agencies including the Treasury, the State Services Commission, Tupuni Kōkiri and the Prime Minister's Department. Now this advisory group concluded that the status quo was unsustainable and it collectively recommended the government agree to disestablish TVNZ and RNZ and to establish a new public media entity. The individual members representing all those outfits have never been disclosed, and neither has their advice. Stuff reported last week that Broadcasting Minister Chris Farfoy had refused to release documents about discussions between media companies and officials, citing both the confidentiality of officials' advice and commercial sensitivity. Media Watch this week has asked the Ministry for Culture and Heritage who it sought advice from, and for details of any advice provided to the Public Media Policy Review. On Thursday, the Minister, Chris Farfoy, described RNZ's reports about the proposal as unhelpful. I am not going to go into any detail until I've had a discussion with my Cabinet colleagues and made a decision. At the moment, um, we've made, as I say, we've made no secret that we're looking at it. Once a decision is made, I'll answer some of those questions. Radio New Zealand Chief Executive Paul Thompson was one of the members of this advisory group, but he declined to appear on Media Watch today. I won't be making public comment about the story or media speculation surrounding it, is all he had to tell us, and other media pursuing the story as well. His counterpart at TVNZ is Kevin Kenrick, and he leads a business that pulls in about $300 million in ads a year. And just 10 days ago, he told News Talk ZB's Mike Hosking he had no idea what the government had planned for TVNZ. And my understanding is he's going to be making some announcements this side of Christmas. Do you know what he's going to do? No. So you have no idea what your future as a company is from the government's point of view? I mean, I've got some ideas of what I think he might want to do. Sure. But I mean, I, I respect that that's his decision, not mine. No, I understand that. But he hasn't told you, so you don't know. So you're sitting this close to Christmas with no real understanding of what they're actually going to announce. No, I mean, that's, that's obviously a decision for the Cabinet. But after RNZ's story broke on Thursday, Kevin Kenrick was a bit more forthcoming, though only in a statement to commercial clients, possibly spooked by the idea of maybe losing TVNZ channels as a place to air their ads. Kevin Kenrick reassured them the government's intention is to strengthen public media, not to weaken commercial media. And he also reassured them TVNZ has reinforced the value of opportunities for New Zealand businesses to build their brands and promote their products on TVNZ, like this. TVNZ remains 100% committed to delivering market-leading television and online audiences and cost-effective opportunities for your business to engage with these audiences. Now, by audiences, TVNZ's Kevin Kenrick means us, and he also told his commercial customers... 
Should any decision be taken to change TVNZ's future obligations, the legislative process would likely take years to implement. Well, Kevin Kenrick is right about that, and at the moment this is just a proposal for Cabinet to consider, and there's lots more that they will want to know. The proposal includes a clearly defined public media mandate and purpose to provide public media services across a variety of platforms, some of which, the proposal says, may be advertising free. Now this is tricky territory. A Labour-led government tried to establish public service programming on TVNZ's commercial channels with the TVNZ Charter back in 2003, and that failed. It also forced TVNZ to launch non-commercial channels TVNZ 6 and 7 in 2008, but both of those had vanished within five years because the public funding ended and because profit-focused TVNZ had no real interest in nurturing those services. Now, other public broadcasters in other parts of the world also operate a mix of commercial and non-commercial services, RTE in Ireland, for example. But last week, RTE was also having to report on leaks about a planned restructuring there. A stark shake-up at RTE with news of job losses and pay cuts. After being leaked last night by the Irish Times, this morning RTE's Director-General Dee Forbes said it was regrettable in how its major restructuring plan was revealed. We were ready to go with this plan, but unfortunately, the information leaked. Peter Thompson is a senior lecturer at Victoria University in Wellington, where he teaches the only postgraduate course in media policy in New Zealand. And he's also the chair of the Better Public Media Trust, a group which advocates for policies and funding to support public interest media. Well, this week, Better Public Media cautiously welcomed the prospect of a new public media entity replacing TVNZ and RNZ. So this week, I asked him why. There's been a, a public service-shaped hole in our media ecology ever since the closure of TVNZ7, which is actually the first campaign that uh, really kicked off what's now become Better Public Media Trust. We think there's a demand still for a, a full range of public service provisions across all platforms, and so television has been the, the conspicuous absence in, in, in this for, for many years. So the things we don't know at the moment, though, is exactly how the structure is going to work if, if it goes ahead, uh, the funding basis and also its governance. So I think there's all sorts of questions that need to be answered before we could confidently say this is a great idea or it's a recipe for disaster. You referred to there being a kind of gap for what's provided to the public in terms of broadcasting, but this advisory group, which has put the proposal that we believe the Cabinet will consider next month, said the impetus for them was that the status quo was not sustainable. What do you think they believe is actually not sustainable? Because it isn't entirely clear to me. Well, well, obviously I wasn't part of that group, so I, I can't speak directly for them. But I suspect what they're getting at is the role of TVNZ. At the moment it's still a, a Crown-owned company. It's uh, current, currently on a, on a commercial operating basis. The question is, if t TVNZ is no longer pulling in a profit and paying dividends to the Crown, then what role does it have? I mean, why would the government own a public broadcaster that operates commercially but doesn't actually make a profit? So uh, I think the, the question would be how, how to, to restructure TVNZ so that some of its operations could start taking on a public service character. What we don't know is exactly how far the government's willing to go with that. 
MediaWorks, for example, has been calling on the government to turn TVNZ1 non-commercial, which seems quite generous, but of course their motive here is that by losing roughly $150 million worth of advertising, uh, that would be an enormous boon to the commercial TV sector because they could then compete for that. But whether the government would be willing to stump up $150 million to then replace all the programmes that were lost because of the, the loss of advertising, and we don't know. And each year of operation at currently... It, absolutely. It would be an ongoing cost as well. Uh, plus, you'd have to persuade the Treasury that it was a good idea to dilute a Crown asset. TVNZ has kind of rebadged itself in the last couple of years. So now they're not making money for the Crown mm. and so they won't for the foreseeable future. But they say, look, we are the place where you will see New Zealand content, New Zealand programmes. They say we're fighting back against Netflix and international providers have no interest in local content. Have they been quite cunning here and presenting themselves as a kind of national resource when really they're still a highly commercial uh, media company? Well, I think it, it's, it really comes down to what, what becomes a competitive point of difference in an environment where really the, the local free-to-air television services can't afford to compete directly with Netflix and, and, and the other big you know, subscription providers for premium-level content. I mean, when, you, when you've got so many new competitors all demanding that top-end content, of course, the, the price goes up enormously. Now, TVNZ, of course, managed to, to win the rights to the Rugby World Cup, but it did so because it partnered with a big telecommunication company, Spark. So the point of difference that the free-to-airs can offer is, of course, local content. Now, the difficulty with this is that the opportunity costs of actually scheduling and producing local content is itself going up. So it becomes a challenge to maintain a full range of, of local content without substantial funding. So we don't know if, uh, if TVNZ is really going to pursue a, a public service model under this current proposal. But, but you know, simply, simply running some local content doesn't make it a public service provider. I think that's the fundamental point. Do you see a big risk in if they go ahead with this, creating an entirely new body with some sort of new name, presumably? Um, you've got TVNZ and RNZ, best known, longest established broadcasters, mm -hmm. biggest audiences in the country, um, your surveys say, most trusted. Um, huge risk, isn't it, to create something replacing those two? It, it could be. Again, we, we don't know what the new structure is going to be like, whether it's a, an umbrella organisation that has a new name and actually you retain, for example, the, the channel names independently of, of, of the overall structure name. But if you restructure the organisation in such a way that we, we lose the current brand value of, for example, RNZ National or TV1, or if they actually became just a blurred multi-platform operation, then, then I think there could be a risk that they lose their distinctive character. And that would be reinforced enormously if, for example, the funding model was, was, was hybrid. So you start introducing commercial, commercial funding into RNZ programmes, which I think would be a disaster. Now, you wrote an opinion piece for Stuff this week, uh, Will the Old Lessons Be Learned? was the heading they put on. What are the lessons? <laughs> well, I think the lessons are threefold, really. I mean, the first thing is that you need a very clear demarcation of what is intended to be a public service uh, versus what is meant to be a commercial service. When, If you go and look back at the old TVNZ charter model, I mean, there was, the charter itself, I think, was a great idea, but it was never funded properly, and it got very, very murky in terms of, of d discerning where the money was going and exactly whether it was going to, toward public service types of content or just being a bung to make more, more commercial content. So that was a problem. I mean, the second key thing is that the, the level of funding has to be proportionate to the policy vision. 
I mean, in the TVNZ charter case, it wasn't. In fact, uh, the government took more out of TVNZ in dividends than it actually gave TVNZ to do the charter, which certainly wasn't sustainable. So, you know, if, if, for example, we want TV1 to become non-commercial, then the government may, may well have to bite the bullet and say, right, well, that is going to cost $150 million a year. And if they think that's worth it, well, great. And then the third thing is governance. And by that, I'm getting at the... The, the ability of senior management and a, and a board to steer a clear course between any, any commercial and public service objectives and to make sure that, for example, the commercial side of, of the new entity doesn't cannibalise the public service side. So actually a board of governors prepared to direct and instruct the management exactly what they want them to do? Well, at least to provide a clear steering line so, so that you know, the, the, the internal ring fencing of, of the public service provisions doesn't, doesn't get muddied by the demands of the commercial side. I think if it was all a hodgepodge where certain bits are commercial and certain bits are public service but nobody's really quite clear where the lines are, that would be a, a potential recipe for disaster. The language that's worrying some people is this mixed model, so some commercial services, some not, not being at all clear where they are, and the track record, as you said, of trying to put public-spirited content on a commercial television network, be it TVNZ or TV3, whatever, has not been especially effective. But other countries uh, do do this. Um, for example, Ireland, uh, its public broadcaster, RT, okay. has some mm-hmm. channels that takes uh, commercials. Um, Denmark has one, for example, a, a second channel, uh, which I visited some years ago now, but... They had commercials that didn't interrupt the programs, Mm -hmm. uh, and they innovated. They really did do popular programs. Some of them became international hits, copied overseas um, formats and so on. So uh, in those cases, uh, right now, RTE has a massive financial crisis just this week, as we heard earlier. So that could be a worry. But, I mean, if other countries do this, is it something that you could look to and say, well, it could work? It's not impossible to operate a a public service media uh, system based partly on commercial funding. But it's a matter of proportion. It, certainly you would need to, to have at least, I think, 50% of the funding coming from public sources to, to make a significant dent in, in the commercial priorities. And there's always a tension there. So I, ideally you'd, you'd move towards a model that, that provided maximum level of public funding uh, and a minimum level of commercial funding. So, for example, Mari Television is probably over 95% publicly funded. And even then, the... the, the small level of commercials that they carry do sometimes influence you know, decisions about scheduling and, and programming. So there's a corrosive effect of, of commercial funding on, on a public service mission, and it's probably directly proportional to the amount of, of commercial dollars going in versus public dollars. You know, so if, if, for example, we started introducing uh, com- commercial, commercial advertising on Radio New Zealand, I mean, straight away, you'd start factoring in considerations of audience demographics and whether or not the program, you know, was, was appropriate to, to a sponsor's product. You know, and, and those, those considerations would, would often push out the, uh, the, the balance of programming, for example, for minorities, and, and some genres would get pushed out of prime time. Um, I think it's telling if we look at the TVNZ7 model, because that was fully funded from government, it offered a completely different schedule to the mainstream commercial channels at the time. I mean, there were all those programmes, for example, on the arts and literature, on the courts, on, on the media, on politics. None of those would, would, would really survive in a, in a commercial environment. So the lesson is that if, if you want a hybrid model, 
you need to clearly demarcate the, the, the functions that you want as public service and insulate them very carefully from commercial pressure. And, and the model as a whole has to have really a majority of, of its funding coming from public sources. As soon as you drop below the 50% margin, uh, I think you've really just got a, another commercial operator. And this proposal for a new public media entity that we believe will go before Cabinet uh, very soon, I mean, it's a public broadcasting plan, which could have effects lasting decades if it was put into place, but it's been done without public input. Behind closed doors, we don't even know the specific individuals on the group that have collectively picked this as the option to put before Cabinet. Does that concern you? Well... uh... I think really from the point where Minister Farfoy took over from his predecessor, Claire Curran, he's taken a long time to, to develop his, his thoughts about the direction of, of public media policy. And this particular news about the, the, the new model came from a leak, of course, I mean, which suggests that perhaps the, the thinking and deliberations around the policy haven't yet been finalised. Now, whether this prompts them to bring forward some announcements and, and make it clear what the, what the new proposal really is, I don't know. But what I think we're, we're seeing is a plan that could potentially be quite commercially sensitive. It, certainly if it was going to, for example, decommercialise part of TVNZ. So that may be a reason why the, the plan has been played very, very close to the government's chest. What I would certainly hope, though, is that there would be an opportunity for some level of public input on the plans when they are actually announced. That was Peter Thompson, Senior Lecturer at Victoria University in Wellington and also the Chair of the Better Public Media Trust, which advocates for policies and funding to support public interest media.